This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back to the show. Of course, uh, normally when it's your birthday, you get gifts, but Justin Adams is a very giving soul. And so Justin Adams joins us. He's the one giving gifts to us for joining the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Justin Adams TV. Of course, CBS News Colorado. Justin uh, won. Very happy birthday. Thanks for uh, for being here today. Appreciate it when I'm sure you had better things to do, like anything. <laughs> no, no, man. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. That and uh, to be honest, guys, you got me out of changing diapers. So it's a great oh, idea. Okay, to be actually, able to do this interview. yeah, we actually may have we may have helped a little bit. Feel better about that for sure. <laughs> uh, we were talking prior to, uh, to what you're coming on, of course, about the uh, amazing changing uh, in, in coaches here over the last 24 hours with uh, Nick Saban decided to call it quits. Bill Belichick moving on from New England, though it feels as if he, his NFL career is not done. Pete Carroll getting pumped, uh, kind of punted upstairs a little bit, and uh, I guess it's a promotion. I don't know, but some big changes. But you're talking about guys. I'll just roll off these these quick numbers, and I'll combine them real quick. Uh, 292 wins for Saban, 333 wins for Belichick, 83 for Pete Carroll in, in college, another 181 in the pros. And these guys together, national and Super Bowl titles, uh, this is not a typo, folks. 18. Yeah. I mean, the idea of losing that much in a 24-hour span is just remarkable. And you could actually mention with Pete Carroll and also Nick Saban, two goats in their sport. I mean, let's call it what it is. We talk about the early 2000s. People forget just how, not good, how dominant USC was. And they are forced into a way from being, what, the first team in years? I don't know if any team has ever won three in a row, but they would have won three national championships, and they were just dominant. So you think about that team that Pete Carroll was able to put together, and then just Nick Saban. Nick Saban is what he is, right? I mean, it always cracks me up that in 2007, in the Independence Bowl, it featured the Colorado Buffalo. It did. And Alabama. And it was like, wait a minute. Both both teams went in different directions immediately right <laughs> after that game. Yeah, I would say so. So it's just one of those where you look at all three of those guys, what they have done, and I don't think they're done yet. Nick Saban for sure is done, but I yeah. think there's still a little bit left for Pete Carroll and also Bill Belichick too. Um, certainly for Belichick. Um, I think Carroll, as uh, Dr. Rick Perry explained to us yesterday, um, and he knows Carroll well, and he's worked with the Seattle organization. And he thinks Pete Carroll is going to be put into a role that right now is best suited for Pete Carroll, who's never been known as having any interest or being very good at X's and O's anyway. He's a motivator. Uh, he's a high-energy guy. And he believes in psychology. And this role has been basically created for Pete Carroll. And I, I'm not pretending that Pete Carroll would not have preferred to remain his head coach. I suspect he would have. But I think he stays with the organization, and to me that makes things awkward for the next coach more than it makes things awkward uh, for Pete Carroll. But Belichick, make no mistake, Belichick was fired uh, today, and I'm most interested uh Talk about Saban a little bit as to why you think he retired. But first, my question uh, pertains to Belichick. Uh, we all are in agreement, and I think most everybody is, that Belichick wants to coach uh, at least long enough to break the Shula record. He's 14 wins away, 333 to Shula's 
347. Of course, that includes playoff wins. Where would you, if you're a Bronco fan, where would you not want to see Bill Belichick, assuming he coaches somewhere in the NFL in 2024? As a Bronco fan, you don't want to see him with the Chargers. Or the Raiders. Um, or the Raiders. No, you don't want to see him there. Um, I would say more so the Chargers, though, because the Raiders they don't have, have a quarterback. quarterback. Right. Yeah, and the Chargers Raiders don't have a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, ra- ra- the Raiders literally are fooling themselves into believing that they have a quarterback. Honestly, they should have tanked last week like the Broncos did. Now, we're not going to say they actually did, but we all get it, right? Um, but I would say if he goes to the Chargers and you already have a quarterback in place, now the defense is a little old. But he's able to go and, you know, make magic out of his defense. His defense was still good this year, right, uh, without their first-round uh, cornerback and Christian Gonzalez, the former buff. And so he could be able to still put those things together. My dark horse team, guys, actually, when I really think about it, if he goes to Philadelphia, and what's the biggest mm. issue that Philly has right now? They have issues in the secondary. Can you imagine if you bring in – and you already have Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown. You already have an offense that's put together. And then you bring it that mastermind to go in just a couple of states down the road and say, hey, here's the keys to the coaching portion of this team. I mean, that will be a tough team to beat, man. I mean, that would be a very, very tough team to beat in a division, to be honest, where you only have to beat Dallas. That, I mean, that's an interesting idea. I think there are a couple. They're not going to fire Sir. I don't think so, but I think there are. And then, but you do bring up an interesting possibility too. I'm not entirely convinced that the Dallas Cowboys aren't an option if they I agree with that. don't win for the I same reason. Because McCarthy if they don't win, on much thinner ice uh, I could see yeah. Jerry Jones wanting to do that immediately. So I, I do wonder if Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick's next job is even open. Yet. For the same reasons, because Belichick mm-hmm. would look at the NFC East and say. I can beat everybody. Oh, and I have, and I have Micah Parsons, and I can. I've got I have, Micah Parsons. Yeah, I'll be all right. I can figure this out. And guys, let's not forget, he knows the NFC East were working with um, Parcells right. back in right. the day, right? Well, so we understand yes. that that uh, division. Yeah, sure, he does. Sure, he does. No, you're you're absolutely right. I I did want to follow up real quick on uh, Saban because I, I, and maybe it's fifty fifty. Saban himself said earlier today. I just lost my verb for coaching. Now, that wasn't apparent to me this year, and I I watch Alabama pretty closely the last couple of years. Um, It wasn't apparent to me. In fact, he seemed very relaxed and challenged by the fact that they were counted out in September and came all the way back. And I'm not saying should have beat Michigan, but could have beat Michigan in the college football playoff semifinals. Certainly came closer than Washington did this past Monday night. Um, it has been said by friends of Saban that, and, and by Deion Sanders, who I guess in a sense is a friend of Saban's, refers to him as the GOAT, that mm-hmm. NIL drove Saban out and virtually nothing else. Uh, I'd like to get your take on that. Was it a, a matter, kind of a combination of maybe losing a little bit of your enthusiasm for coaching but knowing you had done as good a coaching job this year as maybe you ever did, not a bad year to go out on, a combination of, of, of those two things, or was it in a more pronounced way, the NIL, that he just threw up his hands and said, I, I don't want to have to deal with it. I don't have to deal with it. My legacy is secure. 
I think NIL has a small part to play, but let's not lie and pretend like they haven't been paying players anyway before NIL, especially in the SEC. We all know <laughs> guys yeah. who've been able to get paid. Let's just call it what it yeah. is. The, the late uh, great Irv Brown has stories on stories, um, yeah. you know, about yeah. that, right? He used to call um, it his, UTT, under the table. Look, his son, yeah. Greg Brown, uh, was one of my coaches at CU, went to coach at Auburn. He and told Greg Brown coached at Alabama and he coached at mm-hmm. Auburn. So yep. trust me. They had their own version of NIL and collectives, okay? I think the biggest issue was this, was the depth issue. And so what I mean by that is, when you have the number one class, what you're usually able to do is you can say, okay, this kid's a freshman, we'll redshirt him, or we'll go and play him a couple of games. But we know that in two to three years, we can look at our depth chart and say, this kid's ready to play. And so he may play a year or two, right, as he's physically matured and got older, we're going to continue the dynasty, continue the winning, and we'll be fine. Now it's truly free agency in the sense of every year you got to go out and now you got to look at your board and say, okay, we're going to lose this kid here who he wants to go and play because he was a four-star, five-star, but if he would have stuck around the program for two years, he would be ready to go, but he wants to play immediately, so he's going to jump ship and go somewhere else. So now we have to go out and get another kid. Then I got to go out and get another kid. Oh, and now I got to re recruit the kid that I still have on my staff right now, right? Or have on my roster. Those are the things that get, that get exhausting. Those are the things that get really tired. And just as a coach, you just get to the point where you say, look, I'm in my early 70s. Um, my legacy is intact. And with everything that's happening, I still got to the college football playoff and was a couple of yards away from winning another national championship because I believe that Alabama team beats Washington. Oh, so, I think so. oh yeah. No doubt. You know? No doubt. So it's just one of those where you look at those things where you have to go in, get after kids over and over and over again. You just say, you know what? I'll let this go to somebody who has a whole lot more energy. I'll still be at Alabama, though, in the sense of I could be able to help the next coach. I'll still have a position, right, where I could be able to kind of oversee some things. But the, you know, the day in, day out, ins and outs, I won't have to take care of that anymore. The idea going forward, and it's something we discussed a little bit now, as the NIL world is sort of free agency, and you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. The situation for Colorado, we, we know the season did not end well, but as you're starting to see this kind of become the way of the world, is a program like Colorado better positioned, even though the, the, the actual coaching, especially the assistant coaching staff, uh, we understand has been in flux. But is the salesmanship, the ability to get a guy paid on the front end and then potentially on the back end, now maybe the defining factor when it comes to recruiting? And if so, does that put Colorado in a better position in a post-Nick Saban world? I don't think Buff fans and really college football as a whole really understands the position that CU is in. And my hope is this, is that Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, that he's able to go and make the right decisions on the field as a coach because they are very, very well positioned. I mean, where else is another place that's more popular than CU? And trust me, money's not going to be an option because you're going to have those sponsorships. You're going to have those opportunities. You're going to have those chances to get the followers and the likes on your social media profile, on your YouTube channel and everything. So that's definitely going to be an option for so many different kids who never thought about going to Boulder 
just like when Bill McCartney was here, right? Because there were so many kids who never thought about Boulder who had to look in the encyclopedia to find out where the heck Colorado is, right? And so they have another opportunity to be able to position themselves in a way to take full effect and take full advantage of this. My only thing comes down to this. On game day, are you able to make the right decisions to get the wins and not give up games like you did last year? Are you able to put yourself in the right position? Because there were several games last year that you should have won, that you lost, and that will hurt you in recruiting, especially if it continues year after year. I regret in some ways that we have to do this, but we must get to the Broncos. Oh, my Uh, God. (laughs) And I'm not going to ask you about how much you think George Payton was lawyered up the other day. (laughs) The Russell Wilson business he was following the advice of lawyers. It was as clear as the day, and the days are gradually getting longer now, uh, and I think days ahead will be long days for the Broncos. But I wanted to ask you this, and I'm not picking on the Denver Post or the Bronco correspondent who wrote the piece today, but it seemed to me that when Sean Payton talked the other day, he was talking as if he were an analyst of the offense right? rather than the coach in part, at least of the offense. This did you, was did the, you get the that offensive feeling as well? wizard. Did you get that feeling, most, Justin? Yeah, yeah. Because I want to, I, I want to pinpoint it here. He talked about, uh, you know, total offense, 28th in the league. Okay. He didn't have the rankings, but th- these are the rankings. Mm-hmm. 18th in rushing yards, 24th in passing yards, 21 points per game, uh, one of the worst figures uh, in the NFL this year. And he's talking about all that like he's at some kind of remove from it, as if he isn't a part of it. (laughs) Did that stun you as much as it stunned me? And, again, it's attributable to the guy we're talking about. And as nice as he tried to be and conciliatory and, saying, oh, you're all asking great questions. He's coming off as an innocent bystander in the most self-serving of ways, isn't he? Yeah, he is. But one of the things that he could possibly try to say is like, look, the reason why our offense wasn't the way that it was, without actually saying it, is, well, you know, for 15 games, we had this guy that I, I tried to make it work with Russ. I really did. But here's the product. Here's the numbers. And then, look, then I try to go and get this spark with Jared Stidham, and, well, you, here's the numbers. I mean, here's what happened, right? And you know what? I would have made a different call of that one play, and I would have did this differently and whatnot. And so, yeah, you could go back and <laughs> go and try to say the things that you would have done differently. You could go and talk about how you write down all your notes and things that you could have done differently. But the reality is this, is that you cannot have an offense that was as poor as it was last year. And as a coach, you have to figure out a way quicker to be able to go and fix your offense or just to give your offense an identity quicker just so that your team isn't one in five. I I get uh, that, but why isn't he ever accountable for that? It's very interesting, isn't it? Why isn't Um, he accountable? Why is uh, is it always players or guys that didn't fit or, or, uh, you know, whatever – uh, were we as good as we expected or wanted to be offensively this year? Absolutely not. Just look at the numbers, and I just gave you the numbers, but he's part of it. 
Right. And he no. even in his weak moments the other day, <laughs> in part acknowledged it, although a lot of it was making jokes about not being able to read the laminated sheet right because his mm-hmm. eyesight is going. I you mean, know, which is on, a joke. And I mean, I, I mean, yeah. I take it as his attempt at humor. Uh, right. He is not he is not a man possessed of any kind of sense of humor. So it's always strained. But I mean, even in that context, you're not analyzing the offense. You're coaching it. There's a difference. There is a difference. But that also reminds me, though, of a man who's very comfortable at making $18 million a year. And he knows that his job is not going to be cut at all anytime soon, right? He, right. He has no he's got, not only job. will he continue to be the coach, he'll continue to be uh, surveying a kingdom uh, yes. all under his command. Yes. And n- nobody really to answer to up to and including the ownership of the team. And that's what I find from a Bronco point of view to be disheartening when you look ahead to their future, and I want to get this quote right, he was asked an excellent question by Scott Hastings near the end of the uh, his portion of the press conference the other day about what are you going to do in the offseason to improve as a coach and grow as a man in the offseason. And he kind of dodged it, but at the end he had to be Sean Payton looking over the entire room and saying, I know one thing, I know how to win, as opposed to the rest of you, including the two people sitting up here with me, who have no idea how to win. George Payton has no idea how to win. Greg Penner has no idea how to win. One thing I know is I know how to win. Exactly. And you know what? We talked about Nick Saban to start off this conversation. Do you think Nick Saban will ever say something like that? He never would say something like that. Belichick would never say something. Belichick would, Belichick would do it in in a in a smarter way when uh, he was asked, "What do you tell fans uh, before this year began? What do you tell fans to make them optimistic that this will be a better year?" And he had a three word answer: "The last twenty five years." Right. But that isn't saying I know one thing. I'm smarter. And I know how to win. Right. You know, it only goes for so long for you saying that. It only goes for so long for you saying that when you win just one Super Bowl. And the reality is, is and that. And you went eight and nine. Right. As a went, Bronco not, coach, well, you're a loser. But, but, let's, but let's go and look at the four losses that are, that are the, the most crucial losses. Well, first of all, you lost twice to the Raiders. Then at home, well, you lost to the Raiders, lost to the Commanders, you lost to the Jets, you lost to the Patriots, right? In a game that you had no business losing. And, oh, by the way. He got outcoached, by the way, by Bellis. He did. He did. On Christmas Eve. Well, well, guys, look, if you just win two of those games, just two of those Mm -hmm. games, we're talking about the Broncos in the playoffs. Well, you you talk about winning. I mean, okay, maybe Antonio Pierce uh, keeps the job, but uh, Josh McDaniels beat him. He, he didn't, he didn't yeah. last the year. That's right. Ron Rivera beat him. He didn't he last got fired. the year. Yep. Uh, you know, Robert Sala is going to hang on because of, of Aaron Rodgers' injury situation. But uh, Bill Belichick got, fi- got Bill fired. Bill Belichick got fired. Yeah, he did get fired. Let's. I mean, think. so you're talking about at least three and maybe four, depending on what happens with Antonio Pierce. Three mm-hmm. at minimum and maybe four of your losses went to coaches 
that got fired at the end that either didn't last the season or got fired at the end of the year. I like coaches. I like coaches that always think of different ways of how to improve. And they say, look, we have to improve in this way. We have to improve our offense in this way. We have to go in. I have to be better. I have to go and be better. Like, I love the personal accountability. But you can't go and say that, well, I'm a winner. Here's the reality. It's professional sports, okay? And I get it. There are some coaches who are terrible. We all know there are plenty of coaches who are terrible. But for the most part, you don't get opportunities like this as a head coach if you haven't won somewhere, if you haven't experienced some sense of winning somewhere. But what are the small things that you're going to do that is going to take your team over the top? Well, you can look at your roster and say, wait, we don't have the best roster, but we're going to find out a way week in and week out to be able to go and beat a team. I mean, how about, guys, how about starting, Justin, with getting your plays in on time, no matter who the quarterback is? Or, or maybe changing the tempo. Finding a way how to change the tempo. Finding a way how to say, hey, we're going to change the formation. Or we're going to run the ball on first down. Or we're going to go play action. On first. Like, you just got to go be unpredictable. Or just find something that's going to make your team work. And not make excuses and say, well, we tried this. Didn't work out. Or we're going to put the blame on this player. And it didn't work out. You're supposed to be the offensive mastermind. Figure it out, coach. Because you know what? The coaches that we talked about earlier, the Nick Sabans, who started off early on as a coach who would say, I am okay with a running game and a strong defense and we'll win some national championships that at the end of his career, he has a running quarterback and some of the best wide receivers we have seen in the NFL. Or you could talk about Bill Belichick, where we know 100% when he comes to your stadium, he is going to take away the number one thing that you can do. What's, What's going on with Sean Payton? What can we say about this guy? That's the issues that we should have right now. And Sandy, you're right on the money. Well, you heard that. I love how those red flags start just glaring oh. and blaring for you because that should tell us everything we should know at this point about That's Sean Payton. That's the real Payton. Sean Payton. Mm-hmm. Right That's the real Sean Payton. He is Justin Adams. Make sure you give him a follow on social. Justin Adams TV is the handle there and catch him at CBS News Colorado. Everything uh, he puts together and, uh, and hosts. And the man is a busy, busy man and uh, it's his birthday. So give him a follow. <laughs> Say happy birthday on top of that. Appreciate it, my friend. Hey, appreciate you guys as well. Thank you for always having me on. All right. Thanks so much, Justin. Always good to talk to you. And that's, I think that's the, the, the trick, Sandy. You and Justin came on to the same thing. And, and uh, I, I will find out. Sean Payton is now with Bill Belichick, at least currently out of a job, the sixth winningest coach among active coaches. He does have a Super Bowl. Not going to say that doesn't mean anything. But I will say that in my career, in my life, for example, people who tell me, that they're smart tend not to be that smart. People who tell me they're leaders tend not to be leaders. People who tell me they're great tend not to be great. And, and I'll defer to Walter Payton about that. Walter Payton once said, if you're good at something, you'll tell everybody. But if you're great at something, they'll tell you. The Colorado Avalanche have been playing well and some hope may be on the horizon. Some big news for the Avs, some big wins for the Avs. We'll move over to the ice next on My Life Sports. You jump in the saddle, hold on to the bridle, jump in the line, rock your body on time. Okay, I believe you jump in the line, rock your body, rock your body, child. Jump in the line, rock your body in time. Somebody. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. 
Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Look, I get it. It's it's cold and it's snowy out there, and uh, the Colorado home market's been bonkers for years, but I do know how to navigate it, and you need to learn that too. Talk to my friends Dave and Mark at Key Real Estate Group's Colorado Luxury Home Team. When I talk about Colorado's Luxury Home Team, it doesn't mean you have to be in the market for a luxury home. What it means is you get their high-end luxury service, whether you're buying or selling, and you need experts that know Colorado's market. They need, need to know how to ride the highs and lows, which means you need two things, experience and stability. Well, that's that's my guys at Key. Key Real Estate Group is a privately held company, 25 years in business, in the same offices. That's as stable as things get. The Fed's expected now lower interest this year, so beat the competition and buy your new home before the frenzy returns to Denver. Now that it's cool outside, you, you may wait for spring. Why wait for spring? And maybe you're thinking of a new build. Home builders are offering great incentives. Let Dave and Mark represent you to make sure you're getting everything you deserve. Call Dave and Mark at the Key Real Estate Group today at 720-900-LIST. That's 720-900-LIST. Or visit them at keyrealestategroup.com. The Colorado Avalanche, Sandy, at this point, are going off some back-to-back good wins. They shut out the Golden Knights last night. They kind of needed that. They get the, uh, the overtime shootout win with the Bruins. They have... Started, I suppose, and I wouldn't say turn it around because they haven't been bad. You, you've broken that down before. They haven't been bad, but they have been inconsistent, and they've been inconsistent in net. Now we know we know Bone Byram is hurt. I think Caleb Jones has settled in. I think that's looked really good. I agree. But the guy that surprises me it was great. See, Georgiev get that twenty-five save shutout last night. Number two, only number two for the season. Yeah, and number one came very very early, but. The, the story for me in the last couple of weeks, as great as everything's been, Nathan McKinnon, by the way, tied Joe Sackick's record, 23 straight games, home games to open the season with a home opener. Not just Joe Sackick, because you're talking about the Avs record. He tied the, the Avs record. He also tied Phil Esposito. With the 73-74 And there's Bruins. only two guys ahead of him, and I don't even need to tell you their first names. Orr and Gretzky. I mean, that's that's what the, the level that McKinnon's at. But to me, what I've really oh, been... Hockey fans would take the great one... Yeah, and Bobby or, or number four. Do, you know, Bobby know. Hall. You might think, but Bobby Orr is uh, arguably the greatest hockey player of all time. And McKinnon's two behind and him. He had twenty-five. Now Gretzky's at forty. Games, and that this tells you about Bobby Orr. You know when he set the record in seventy-four, seventy-five, which was basically his last healthy year, right? As an NHL player, and he was still great. Oh, and he was still a defenseman at home, uh, at least to uh, be on the score sheet for 25 straight games. Then you got Gretzky at 40, and, I, you know, you've got... Uh, that seems untouchable. You, you but know, that, that looks like it might not be... That looks like DiMaggio at 56 games yeah. uh, on the hitting streak. Uh, and... <laughs> uh, but what McKinnon is doing is that he is lifting the whole team. And I'm not saying he even has to be the Avalanche's best player night after night after night, but his play is lifting other guys to be that best player. Maybe it's a rent and maybe it's an Ashushkin. Maybe it's even Jonathan Druen or pretty yeah. close to that. And Druen, uh, all of a sudden Boys. is one of the six leading point producers yep. on a Colorado avalanche behind only McKinnon, Ranton, McCarr, Nishushkin, and Taves. Druen is now sixth. And if you list, the six best players in the Avalanche, those are the guys right now 
Who are the six best players? Probably. McKinnon, Drouin, Rantanen, Nishushkin, and, of course, the defense tandem of Taves and McCarthy. Those are the six best players. Nishushkin, by the way, and, and I did want to mention it, because now, now six goals and three assists in his last six games. Uh, right. Rolling. And especially on the power play. On the power I mean, play. He, he is, uh, we were talking about Esposito, who was the ultimate garbage man as a right. goal scorer. And now, whether you want to call him a power forward or a garbage man, and I mean that as a compliment. Oh, me too. Nishushkin me is too. deadly you, in front. You get that deadly. big 6'4", 225-pound frame. You can't move him. You can't move him. He's got quick hands. You know, he can do the deflections. He Great gets the hands. garbage. When you're talking about having, I personally think that when you look at Stanley Cup teams, most champions have a guy like that. The garbage man. Yeah. And, and I mean that the way you do. That is a term of respect for Well, he me. has a chance to score 40 goals uh, this year. He's already got 22. He tied right. McKinnon for the team right. lead. And it's just past midseason. So, you know, he's kind of on pace for that. And he's especially hot of late. And, and I want to say one power other thing. play goals. Very quickly about Nishushkin. 13 power play Ooh. goals. Incredible. I was wrong about him. Uh, I, I had my doubts at the start of the year. Uh, I, I didn't think he got off to the greatest start and I, I I didn't see him uh lifting his game anytime soon and I I thought he might be a guy you had to consider trading well uh, within the last month to six weeks that notion became preposterous because he's as physical as anybody he's on your power play he is a premier penalty killer yep Yes, he and is. And obviously, five-on-five, five, he's great. Three-on-three, three, he's great. Uh, in any situation you can imagine, in any combination or amalgamation of players, he fits in. And uh, somewhere along the line between last year and this year, but it's seemingly this year, it's almost as if he kind of got the note, like, you're the you're the big guy. You're, you're Go be the big guy. And when you're talking about the 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 defensive play when you're talking about the way you, you kind of park yourself in that in that crease and make things difficult yeah it's really been a revelation and even more than the play what i noticed and i even i even took note of it it's in my notes for today i have noticed in the last couple games this is a guy that is as uh he, he does he does speak english it's not great but he doesn't he's not comfortable speaking it in public he's talking more though he is talking more and you're also seeing something that you haven't seen he's smiling yeah, he's 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 smiling. He's clearly he's a en- joyful. He's player enjoying the, the company yeah. of his teammates. He's well, enjoying the game. You know, he is enjoying the ball arena crowd. He's enjoying the experience. You know when he took and off, that's new when his daughter was born. Think back on that. That's when this hot streak began, and that I think has it's contributed fatherhood changes to your the perspective. joy with which he is playing the game now. A joy that I I don't know is part of his I profile never saw as a hockey player. I, I didn't see it. Even when he was playing well, mm-hmm. I didn't see joy. Now I see joy. And I also see a guy you can put on that second line and, you know, O'Connor's playing very, very uh, well, yes, he too. Is. Um, he's, I, I was going to say over his head, but maybe it isn't. Uh, he, is, he has become, he scored last mm-hmm. night again. Uh and now you can carry a Colton or a Johansson, neither of whom is playing especially well. And, you know, you can move up a Cogliano to the third line, Kibi Ranta, and get by with a fourth line because you're not playing him very much of Olofsson, McDermott, and Pullen, even with Wood out. And uh, 
you know, it looks like on defense, Byram's going to be out for a while. Manson's going to be out for a while. That's your second defense mm-hmm. tandem. It's going to be out. And now you've got Johnson and Gerard as your second tandem. They're playing well. And as you say, Jones and Malinsky, I don't mind. As I a don't third mind tandem. it as a third tandem. No, I think they, their skills blend well uh, together. They can both skate. And you got this is about the time of year, last year. When Georgiev really took off, and maybe he that's who he is. He's a slow starter, relatively slow starter, who at midseason raises his game a little bit. I'm concerned about the volume of games he's yep. forced to play. Me too. That worries me some, but I think lately he's needed to play. And Bednar said Monday night, most complete game we played this year. They were more complete last night. They really dominated. They were. And I understand Las Vegas has injuries, but the Avs have injuries, mm-hmm. too. And they have sickness. Uh, and it's it's really not that much worse with the Avalanche. And I think that Vegas has lost seven out of nine, something like that. The Avs have won six out of seven. Yeah. And the Avs, Avs right now, night. other than Winnipeg, are the hottest team in the NHL. Uh, and I guess Seattle's 8-0-2 and in its last uh, 10 games. But the Avs are playing better even than Edmonton yep. over the last 10 games. Certainly better than Boston. Certainly better than the Rangers, uh, the two first-place teams back east. Uh, the Avs are taking off at about the same time they did a year ago, and I think it's the patience of Bednar and the incredible play of McKinnon and uh, Nishushkin primarily. But Ranton and Druen certainly have done uh, their part, combining for three assists last night. Uh, Rantanen played 24.05. Uh, Druen played almost 22 minutes last night on that first and, line, and, you, and he belongs yes. with that first line. And you look at the way that what we've talked about, the, the change for Nachushkin, the, the confidence for Druen now that has been starting to percolate yeah. and, and showing, the confidence that Georgiev seems to be building yeah. again. A lot of this springs from, again, this is part of the thing in sports where the mental aspect of it is a major part of the way sports work. Absolutely, and uh, no one can describe that part of sports better than Dr. Rick Perea, the premier performance psychologist who appears with us every Wednesday afternoon at 5.30 on our Wellness Wednesday podcast, our checkup from the neck up. Dr. Perea, the former psychologist of the world champion Broncos back in 2015, the good old days, as they say, Uh, Colorado Rockies, uh, team psychologist, uh, as the Rockies are getting set to take off on a two-year playoff run. Yes, that actually happened in 17 and 18. And, of course, he has worked with the world champion Denver Nuggets as well. But most importantly, Dr. P helps middle and high school performers to reach peak levels, whether you're an everyday performer at work, at play, or at school. Call Dr. P today at 720-897. I'm sorry, 720-287-0933. That's 720-287-0933, or look them up at Dr. P at think1number4u.org. That's think1for-u.org. Well, if you're excited about the avalanche now rounding into form, uh, you might get a little bit more excited because over uh, at dailyfaceoff.com, Frank Saravelli, longtime TSN reporter, had Avs GM Chris McFarland on. How you feeling about the captain? How do you feel about the captain coming back? Who was in the arena last night? 
Well, or the game. He's been doing a little bit more than that. We'll hear from Chris McFarland next on Mile High Sports. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. I have talked about it before. I think, obviously, for very good reason. John Owe's helicopter play goes into Colorado sports history as one of the most uh, self-sacrificing sports moments in A Colorado sports history. That the 37-year-old wanted to win more than anybody else, including but I've Brett said Favre this the before, field. and I'll say it again. Gabriel Landeskog's return from yes. injury prior to the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs and playing through it, knowing that he was rushing it, knowing that there would be a potential cost that could even be the career, to my mind, is the most sacrificing oh, moment in Colorado sports history because he went in grind of, of months, months as he continued to grind through it, game. knowing that he probably should not be playing knowing that this was an opportunity as the captain to go out there, and and, and he was brilliant. And he played he well. He was brilliant. Yes, he wasn't just run. dragging the leg around. He contributed. They wouldn't have won the cup without him. Good news potentially on the horizon. Of course, Landis Gog is on a long-term injured reserve as the knee injuries and the surgeries that they have tried to continue to get him back onto the ice have uh, continued to progress. But... He has been skating a little bit. And over on Frank Cervelli, longtime TSN reporter, his podcast uh, over at dailyfaceoff.com, he had a discussion with Chris McFarland, the Avalanche GM, who took the opportunity to talk about Landeskog. I want to let you hear it. The good news is, you know, everything has gone well. You know, knock on wood, there's been no, you know, no sort of glaring hiccups or, um, you know, speed bumps or anything. So his, his rehab continues, but we're, you know, we're still, I don't know if early is the right word, Frank, but we're still gathering information and, and every week that goes by, there's sort of another step in terms of the things that he's hopefully gonna, gonna be able to do, but, um, nowhere, we're not, we're not close. There's not, you know, it's not like he's, uh, you know, we need more information, basically, but everything is hopefully positive, and we certainly miss them, that's for sure. So I know it's way off in the distance, given where you're at in the process, but is, is there hope that he can come back and play? Like, is that is that the goal? Well, the goal was, you know, the timeline we were given was, you know, 12 to 16 months. So, you know, 12 months is, you know, at some point after the uh, the NHL regular season, and, and it, you know, I to say it's going to be, 
uh, you know, if we're fortunate enough to go in the playoffs and win a round, would he be potentially be a player? I, I just don't know. I just don't know. But is that a is that a twinkle in your eye? Maybe that yes. uh, hey, if we go on a deep run, that there yes. is a, a glimmer of hope that this guy could be back. Well, I I think the glimmer the hope is is for Gabe, right? He's he loves hockey. This has been really hard on him. Um, it's it's what he does. It's what he knows. Uh, selfishly, we have you know we have a lot of term left with him. I can't you know Gabe Landeskog is a special player. I, you know I've said that. A number of times we can you know you can maybe you know put that that cap space to use and and find a 20 goal scorer or what have you but the things that Gabe does you know they're not readily available the things that he does for our organization on and, and off the ice and we really really miss this player and um, I, I'm just hopeful for him uh, that he can that he can continue his career whether it's we're fortunate enough it's the springtime or um, if it's if it's next September at training camp or or whatever, that that's the number one thing I want to see him back on the ice. Now he couches that mm-hmm. quite a bit, but there's a glimmer of hope, and just the notion that maybe a worst case scenario comes back in September October, sometime sometime in 2024. That's great news. And he was around the team last night, and Bednar said he always brings energy mm-hmm. when he's around. The team loves having and him remember, around. remember, the Az decided not no. to vote for a new captain. They did. Year, knowing that Landis Gard was expected to be out. They decided yep. that no one was going to wear the C this well, year. Well, no one can wear the C the way he right. wears the C. And I what I was going to say wore the C, I'm, I'm using it present tense. I he's think it applies today. He's still the captain. He's still when he's around, provides a jolt of energy, enthusiasm, even confidence, knowing that he's not going to play anytime soon. And, I, you know, you think about getting Lekkanen back in the next three weeks, uh, perhaps a little bit earlier than that. He's skating at practice. Mm-hmm. No non-contact jersey anymore for Arturi Lekkanen. He's, he's fairly Out there fully participating. In practice, so he's not far away. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if he came back before either Manson or Byram comes back with the lower body injuries uh, they're dealing with right now. Uh, but this is nothing compared to the injuries the Avalanche are dealing with last year, and they also at this time last year had hope that Landis Scott could come back and didn't put him on LTIR, and then sort of gave themselves challenges for the cap. And that's where the next question fits, obviously, because. The trade deadline is March 8th. The cap situation, and, and the Avs took advantage of what, what's allowed with the long-term injured reserve, Gabe Landeskog and Pavel Francos, by the way, as well. It doesn't make as much as Landeskog, but uh, both are on long-term injured reserve because you could then use their cap space. Now, oddly, until there's a new CBA, the loophole is that vanishes in the playoffs. Yes. The Tampa Bay Lightning utilized that for Nikita Kucherov a couple of years ago, kind of Hit him for the years. The Vegas did it last year with Mark Stone. Uh, they go and they kind of hide a guy, and then when that rolls off, then all of a sudden they add a premier free agent, essentially, and, and exceed the cap. Could the Avs do that? I suppose. I think McFarland is being honest in the idea that uh, that would be great. We'd really just like him to extend his career. Out skating today for the first time since that cartilage transplant. Here's what Jared Bednar said after practice, quote, I think the biggest part of that is it probably feels great for him just to be around the guys. 
That's one step in getting back here and doing his rehab here around the guys and being part of it. And our guys having him around, it's great on both sides. But for him, it's been a long road to now get back on the ice and do some things that would be sort of a refreshing step in his process to return. And that that's part of it. And uh, Bednar also went on to say, doesn't expect him to skate every day. Oh. This is it's not what they're doing. We're just, just starting, just starting the process and seeing how it goes. But it's obviously a great sign for an all-time great Colorado athlete. And to be able to see him get towards a return would be remarkable. This year, that, that'd be great. But it's more the idea, I think there's more than a few people that would like to see the captain back on the ice uh, in whatever capacity, whether that's on a playoff team or whether that's during a quote-unquote meaningless regular season game next fall to see Landeskog back out there. I do not know Chris McFarlane well. But I can say with the highest degree of confidence, we will never hear Chris McFarlane say anything like Tim Connolly said two years ago before the playoffs began with Jamal Murray about Jamal Murray implying that only Murray was keeping Murray from playing. Right. You will never hear that from Chris McFarland or anyone else in the avalanche organization with regard to Gabriel Landeskog. No, you will I, never I, hear I don't it. think you will either. So this is the, the a long road, but look, as I, I think McFarland put it correctly, is it a twinkle in his eye? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't It'd it be, be nice? Why wouldn't, wouldn't it, it be? If you got Lekkanen back and then a few months later, at in some point capacity? during the playoffs, in any he's capacity, for eight, eight even if he just night? played on the power play. Sure. You know, uh, you'd, you'd have him uh, there in reserve, maybe getting more or less fourth line or third line minutes. Don't want to get carried away, but you'd have him at your disposal because you're right, during the playoffs, you can put people on the roster who would uh, definitely put you in trouble with the salary cap if they're right. on the roster during the season or you couldn't put them on the roster. I mean, it's a hard cap. You can't put them on the roster during the season. But just the chance that he might be able to play in the playoffs, um, given the way the Avalanche are going. And, uh, you know, I don't even say, and you don't either, well, the Avalanche are playing without Gabriel Landerskog because that's been true for more right. than a year and a half. Right. So we we don't include that, but boy, you add him. But adding back, yeah. even at any point during the playoffs, right? What a bonus! It would be huge. Thanks for tuning in today. Obviously, lots to talk about. Just a, an amazing last twenty four hours in sports. Great to break it all down with you. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth for making everything work. Thanks to everyone who interacted on the the text lines. Always appreciate all of you and everyone who listens, whether it's on the FM. Radio, the HD, whether at mylifesports.com or you've made it easy on yourself and gotten the app. We appreciate each and every one of you, however you listen. Sandy and I need to step aside for about 22 hours, but you don't have to go anywhere. Keep it right here on My Life Sports.